You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as the family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. Good morning, everybody. I didn't want to break that up. Y'all are having fun. I have noticed that since we went this year to 9 a.m., we tend to just stay after and just hang out and talk, and that's awesome. You know, we we come together for a number of reasons. Um, On Sundays, as as a community, as a church, we come together for so many reasons. We come together to see one another. We come together to worship our Creator, our Lord. We come together just to be encouraged. We come together to, to break up our week. We come together to get perspective. There's so many good reasons that, that we come together for, and uh, it's so good to, to be the church. And as, as was mentioned earlier, you know, there's um, some loss this week. Uh, on Friday morning, Jim Plouffe passed away, uh, Sherry, Sherry's dad. Um, Jim and Nancy have been a part of our church for a long time. Jim, um, such an encouragement to, to our leadership team and uh, just to anybody that ever ever had the privilege of being around Jim. He was such a lover of people um, and such an example of Jesus' love for people. And so as we stand and support the Arquette family and the Plouffe family, um, this week, uh, calling hours on Wednesday, we're, we're just, we'll send out the information. Uh, calling hours on Wednesday and the funeral on Thursday here at 11 o'clock. Um, as well, uh, last night... Um, Uh, Brian Eddy's father passed away last night as well. We just found out this morning. Um, so Brian and Jackie Eddy are with family, um, just processing that and going through that. Can we just pray uh, for these families and, and so many others? God, we thank you that you are our God. God, we thank you that you draw us together to be the church, to support one another, to love each other. God, as we process loss and grief and mourning, God, we pray for the Eddie family, we pray for the Airquats, we pray for the Ploofs and all the other families related and, and just surrounding these, these two incredible losses this weekend. God, we thank you that you are our comforter. God, we thank you that, God, that you have defeated death and that we are just awaiting resurrection. God, we ask for you to bring peace during, in our sorrow. Bring us comfort today in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been uh, in Garden to City for several months, uh, starting the book of Genesis and now turning the pages over to the book of Revelation. And this idea, Garden to City, that the scriptures begins in a garden, God creating the heavens and the earth and creating a garden and, and putting... Adam there and Eve there and and the story beginning there and then you flip all the way to the other side of the Bible and you come to Revelation 21 and 22 and and the the scene ending in a garden city how how we hop between Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelations 21 and 22 between a garden and a garden city the fans are up <laughs> um, between a garden and a garden city and there's and we are we are in between and God gives you know, instruction to, to man and, and walks with man and gives the idea to go and, and multiply and fill the earth and govern it and build and do all the things that we, that, we're, that we do. And it's headed somewhere. And we wanted to talk about that um, in this season and really to bring perspective. And, you know, we, we, bring our, we find ourselves now in the book of Revelation, as, as Greg spoke last week, and, and just seeing, trying to understand what Revelation is about and it being one of those books that that a lot of people tend to avoid, and I'll be one of the first to say I've tended to avoid the book of Revelation myself. It's not my favorite book in the Bible, um, but I have to say that in the last couple of, of months as we've been looking at it, it's becoming one of my, one of my favorites, um, which I didn't expect it, it, that to happen. Um, but it's, it's one of those books that's, it can be very hard, uh, very tough to read. You know, some passages, some, some books in the Bible and, and some passages are very easy to understand, you know, love one another. 
I, I think I got that. <laughs> but then we read about the seven eyes and seven horns and seven trumpets and 24 elders, and you're like, what in the world is, is, is happening here? It's harder to understand. We want to dive in more. I'm going to cover Revelations 4 through 6 in a, in a few minutes here. Um, but I, I think Greg mentioned here last week, but a couple of resources that have been very helpful for us, um, very, um, I would say, accessible, because uh, sometimes you need something that's accessible. Uh, N.T. Wright wrote a little commentary, Revelation for Everyone. It's um, a great little book. He also wrote a book that I'm going to reference a lot today called Surprised by Hope. That's from N.T. Wright. And then I've mentioned several times the Bible Project videos. If you just Google Bible Project, they have an app, Bible Project, a YouTube channel, Bible Project. There's some great videos on there, specifically the one titled Heaven and Earth, and then also the Book of Revelation. Um, so just some great resources as we're reading through the Book of Revelation and just trying to wrap our brains around some of these, these images and some of these things that are, that are spoken there. Um, those are some great resources that are helping us. But as I said last week, um, we find ourselves caught between or positioned between the resurrection of Jesus and the return and future resurrection. That where, where we find ourselves in the history of the world and in the scriptures is between Jesus' resurrection, which we celebrate on Easter Sunday, and a future resurrection, a future return, which is what we see referenced in, in the book of Revelation and in other uh, books in the scriptures as well. But that's where we are now. And so looking at Revelation is, is looking and trying to understand you know, what, what has happened and where, what, where we find ourselves and what do we do in this place between Jesus' resurrection and Jesus' return. And it's important to, to understand a number of concepts as we turn to the book of Revelation. And honestly, some, some things that I think sometimes we just get wrong or sometimes culture or, or teaching or, or past, wherever thoughts come from. I know there's, we all have different beliefs and different thoughts in our heads that come from some variety of sources. Um, but we want, we want to make sure that when we come to the scriptures, that the scriptures is informing our beliefs. The scriptures is informing who, what we believe and what we know about God. And I want to highlight a, a couple of those. The first being this, this idea that Jesus ascended bodily into heaven. That we find ourselves, as I said, between the resurrection and the return. And Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, he went around and and he did some, some pretty cool things, and he was, he was recognized and also not recognized at the same time. So Jesus' resurrected body, when Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was rose, rose on Easter morning, people didn't recognize him, and then they would recognize him. He still had the marks on his hands and feet. He showed them to his disciples. He said, look, he even invited them to touch his hands and feet. He ate. He made breakfast. Isn't that cool to think about? Jesus made breakfast for his disciples in his resurrected body. In his resurrected body, it seems that he passed through walls. I don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> and also, he ate, as I said. And he was unrecognized and yet also recognized. And so we see, and Paul talks about Jesus being the first of the, of the firstborn, the first to be raised, and how we also Will, will be raised, and how Jesus comes, and we come to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, and, and Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he, he speaks to them, and he, and he gives them instructions, and then he seems to go up in the air and go away from their sight, into the clouds is, is the way that they describe it. And then in the book of Revelation, we say that he's going to come back in the same way. Now, without scratching our heads too much, just to think about the fact that Jesus had a body, a physical body that disappeared <laughs> from our sight, that went away from our sight, and then will return. And I believe, and I think what the Bible teaches, is that he still has a physical body. Wherever Jesus physically is in his way of being physically, he has a body. And we're going to have resurrected bodies in the future is what Paul describes. And so this idea, and I brought it up last week, of heaven and earth, 
How in, how in Genesis chapter 1, it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But if we take that literally, which I like to, he created the heaven and the earth. Meaning before he created the heavens, there was no heavens. God was somewhere. He was in his space. But the heavens and the earth, when the Bible speaks of heaven and earth, the heavens and the earth are an overlapping, interconnected reality. And when, when Adam and Eve decided to do their own thing and every human being ever since decides to do their own thing, there's, there's, a, there's a, a, a split between heaven and earth. And heaven and earth are described as earth being our space and heaven being God's space. But it's not a location as in up. I, I know when I was, I have this memory of being in the backyard when I was young and I had a pitchfork and I stabbed the ground because the devil is down there <laughs> and God is up there. And we get that from Plato and, and Aristotle and, and different, 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 different teachings. That's not from the scriptures. Although there is a sense of up, there's a sense of down but we know that that's not literal. But God's space, wherever God is, and he is present, and the Holy Spirit is with us, but there's also this space that's described as heaven. And heaven is not described in the scriptures as the place you go when you die. That's, a, that's, that's often how we think. That's how I, I was, I don't know if I was taught that or I just caught that, that we're gonna go to heaven when we die. But what Jesus says to the, to the man next to him on the cross is that today you will be with me in paradise. And there's other phrases. One of them's, and we're not going to go there, Abraham's bosom. And I'm like, well, we don't want to talk about going to Abraham's bosom because that just sounds weird. But going to paradise. I, I like paradise. I actually lived in paradise for five years and it burned down two years ago. I don't know if you know, paradise, California burned down a couple years ago. That's where we used to live when I was born. But paradise is the word that the Bible uses for this space where, where people are. And there's other words. But typically the word heaven, when Jesus goes around proclaiming the kingdom of heaven, he's not talking about where you go when you die. He's talking about, especially when, when he says, pray, your father, uh, somebody help me get started with the Lord's Prayer. Who art in heaven, hallowed be the name of thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That Jesus instructs us to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, as it is presently in, in God's space, in heaven, whatever that, whatever that looks like. And how heaven is supposed to be something that invades earth, invades now. Not something that I'm waiting for, but something that is supposed to come together. That's where, where heaven and earth are supposed to come back together. And that's where when we, when we finally come to Revelations 21 and 22, the, the heavens and the earth are back together perfectly. And all things are back together the way it was designed to be from the beginning. And the Bible has a lot to say about afterlife. But it's actually not that much compared to what it has to say about this life. Because God wants to have make a difference in our life now. God wants to make a difference in a reality now. And that now will continue for all eternity. That now will continue as we go to paradise, as I believe Jim is in paradise right now with Jesus. He's there right now, awaiting to be returned to, to, to for future resurrection, to be reunited with all saints all, everywhere, all time, in the new heavens and the new earth. This is what I see in the scriptures. Now, comprehending it, that's a different thing. <laughs> but this is, the, this is what, I, what I see the scriptures teaching us. Understanding heaven and earth and paradise I have, an, I have on your handout, we look to Revelation to understand what we are waiting for and what we are going to do about it in the meantime. I'm going to skip down. I already covered that. Matthew 6, 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
today I'm, I'm, I'm looking specifically at Revelations chapter 4, 5, and 6. And Revelations 4 and 5 is a picture of heaven presently for John when he, when he, is, when he is seeing this. When he, when he is, when he is ha- caught up in this vision and, he, and he's getting a picture of the throne room. It's not a picture of the throne room in the far off distant future. It's a picture of the throne room presently because God's space and our space is like he's, it's being revealed to him. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth, and you saw all of that. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, I mentioned this last week. Um, in this passage, leading up to this particular verse, Paul is talking about our future bodily resurrection, how we are awaiting these bodies to be made better. <laughs> We're waiting for a bodily resurrection, and he, and he ends with this idea of resurrection and says, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable, always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. See, the, pers- the perspective of Paul here, he's talking about the future. He's talking about a future resurrection. He's talking about Jesus coming back and, and all that is, that's going to happen in the future. But he says, but for right now, remember that everything you do, nothing that you do is useless. Because what we do now, what you do today, matters for today and for eternity. That's the perspective that we're supposed to have, that everything that we do has eternal consequences, or eternal like consequences, I, I, I say that in a positive sense, that, that as we invest, that investment is paid into eternity. That as we make good choices, those choices ripple into eternity. That, that's what motivates us to, to become better. <laughs> To love more. I know I, I, I hope you have Kleenex. Sorry, Sherry. As I, I was sitting with the family on Friday, I totally lost what I was going to say. As I was sitting with the family on Friday, I said, you know, it's in these moments where regrets can slip in, where you say, I wish I would have visited one more time. I wish I would have given one more hug. I wish I would have said I love you one more time. And that's okay, but it's supposed to motivate us because if any of you knew Jim, he was a man who did not let those moments pass that he was always saying, I love you, and always grabbing your hand, and always giving you a hug. And as Greg, Greg shared with the family, and I would say the same thing, I would go to the hospital to visit Jim. And my intention is, I, I, you know, I get in my car, I drive to Potsdam, and I'm like, I'm going to go encourage Jim, I'm going to love on Jim, I'm going to tell Jim how awesome he is, I'm going to pray for Jim. And I do that in about five minutes, and then for the next hour, Jim just tells me how awesome I am. <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's not supposed to be that way. <laughs> I'm there to bless you. But he blessed us, and we want that to inform us now that we don't take advantage, that, we're, that we realize that everything that we do can have a lasting impact. And so we talk about our responsibility and looking at this idea of garden to city, that we cut, we're, we're in between the garden headed to the city. We're looking at what is our responsibility between those two time frames. As we, as we look at Revelation and we talk about future events and, and you look at Christian teaching um, in, in general, there's basically three different perspectives of, of approaching um, end times, approaching Revelation, approaching future events. And, and the first being, I want to get these right, the first being is that there's, there's, there's this idea, there's this teaching that we're, that we're building something that is going to keep getting better and better and better until the kingdom is established. You know, and so people are working hard to, to build and to make things better and improve and make things better. The, the, another perspective is that things are going to keep getting worse and worse and worse until we get to escape. And a third, meaning that God will do for creation what he did for Jesus on Easter Sunday and bring resurrection to all of creation. 
which is what I, I'm kind of biased, that's what I think. <laughs> that the promise that we see in Jesus, the promise that we see throughout all of Scripture and in the teachings of Paul and in the book of Revelation is that we get a picture of what resurrection looks like in the person of Jesus with an expectation of resurrection for everything. And that's what my, one of my favorite passages comes in, um, Colossians chapter 1, how it speaks of how God is, in, is the restoring all things, that through Jesus, God restores all things. But we find ourselves caught because it hasn't happened yet. And we do know pain and loss and walk with the loss that we've experienced, caught waiting for, for, for the return. So we turn to Revelations chapter 4, and uh, momentum just started back up, and we're going to be going through with our, with our students going through the scriptures, and one thing that's happened over the, the years of momentum is anybody that's in here that has been in momentum, they will know exactly what I'm talking about. How they like to ask questions, and then I like to respond. Anybody want to shout it out? I didn't hear you. What does the text say? Oh, usually when people, when the, when the students ask me a question, I don't answer that question. I'm trying to be like Jesus. When Jesus was asked questions, he responded with questions. <laughs> Maybe that's just a cop-out. I don't know. Uh, but I like to say, well, what, 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 do you, what do you think it says? For this moment, for the next ha- 20 minutes or so, as we look through Revelations 4 through 6, I'm going to tell you what I think. What, what I think Revelations 4 through 6 means and what it, what it says to us. I don't like to do that. I don't like to tell you what I think. I like to lead you to think, to see it for yourself. But So what, I, what I'm going to submit to you is not something that I think is extremely clear. Because the things that are extremely clear, those are easy to talk about. Love each other. Forgive each other. Pray for your enemies. A little bit harder, but we get it. Revelations 4 through 6, not extremely clear. And so we come to Revelations chapter 4, verse 1. So then as I looked, this is John writing down his revelation. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. John's giving us this picture and he sees this throne in heaven. And remember the idea of heaven and earth and and there is a sense that things are going to happen after this. There is an unfolding of events, but there's also this idea that, that John is, is getting a, a window into the throne room of God, the present throne room of God, and understanding future things, things are going to happen. This throne room of God. Um, verse 3, the one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. I have no idea what that looks like. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. 24 elders thrones surrounded him and 24 elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. You know, when we, when we read through the book of Revelation and we see there's a lot of numbers and a lot of symbols and the expectation that John has is that we go back into the previous things that are written and try to find, well, what's, what's that referencing? You know, where else do we see these things? And we, we do the work of trying to figure it out. That's why Reading the scriptures is easier in community because I don't have to have this all figured out. We can talk about it together. You know, and even this, this 24 thrones and 24 elders, and we think, what are, where do we see the number 24? And I've, I've found this written. I, I think it's a good example. We don't see the number 24, but we do see the number 12 in the scriptures, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. And there's the 24 elders here. And the speaking, and especially the, the recurrence of the number, number seven in Revelation, the seven just be completeness because of the seven days of creation. How a creation was completed in seven days, and we're looking at the fullness. And so in the fullness, the 24, all the tribes of Israel and all the apostles, they have the crown on their heads 
They're, they're, we, we are a kingdom of priests. They're wearing robes because they've been purified. And these 24 elders that had the gold crowns on their heads. Verse 5, from the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. Something going on. And in front of the throne were seven torches and burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shining seat of glass, sparkling with crystal. And we're going to see this imagery of a sea in the throne room of God. And the sea is where the, the beast is going to come out of the sea. And even when we, when we jump ahead to Revelations 21 and 22 and the new heavens and the new earth, it says there's no longer a sea. So what's happening here is in this image, in this, in this picture of the throne room of God, the sea is there. And we learn later that the beast is, is associated with the beast, it's associated with, with the devil, the accuser, the, the, it's associated with evil, how it's still present in our world, it's still present, it's still having an impact on creation, but it has its place in the throne room. It's, it's restricted in the throne room, but it's going to be dealt with in the coming pages. Um, in the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they kept on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. We see these, these four creatures, and what we see throughout Scripture is, is the promise that all of creation will declare the goodness of God. All of creation will cry out. All of creation, all living things, all rocks, even the rocks will cry out, we see throughout Scripture. And so we see the, 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 the animals, and we see the, with the created things declaring holy, holy, holy. They're declaring a statement about God. Verse 9, whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. I want to highlight a difference between these two declarations about God. The first is just a, a simple declaration about God. And the second, by the 24 elders, is a declaration with understanding that because of who you are, they declare holy, holy, holy. And there's a difference. I know I have two dogs and two guinea pigs and eight fish in the house, I think, ten, I don't know. And dogs, the, my dog is always, no matter, no matter, I mean, I go out and come back in and one dog barks at everybody that walks through the door, even if it's me, and the other dog is just happy to see me and is always happy, happy, happy. I mean, if I even reach over to touch my phone to see what time it is in the morning, my dog is like, oh, ready to go? <laughs> because animals, they just... They're, they can declare, they can, they, can, they, can just, they can make a statement. But humanity, we have the ability to think and the ability to process and to connect and to, and to put things together, thoughts together, and to, to, to lean into the future. And so the difference in these two declarations is the animals will cry out to God but humanity says, because of what you've done, because of who you are, I understand and I worship you because of that. That we're able, in our, in our worship, we're not just saying to God because, we're not just saying who he is, we're saying it with understanding. And sometimes, sometimes we just read the words and sing them, and other times we read the words and it resonates. And even as, as Gabe led us and as Elaine led us, just to, just to say our own words, that as we declare to God, as we declare who he is, we do that from a place of, of knowing him. We do that from a place of understanding. Chapter 5, Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was written on the inside and outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. 
this may totally be off, but when I when I when I see this, I, I think of I think of either a builder with his plans. He's got his scroll. He's got his, his plans rolled up. Or a general with the battle plan. That God has the plans. He has this scroll. He's got a purpose. There's something going to happen here. God is doing something in the earth. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. And, and we're like, okay, what's, what's written in there? And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is, wor- who is worthy to break the seals on the scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. No one is found worthy to open the scroll and read it because we've all contributed to the problem. We're all a part of the problem, except the one. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion, we sang about this a little bit this morning, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to God's throne, he has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from, right, from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lord, before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. A couple things here. He, John hears the declaration of the Lion of Judah. He hears, is the word that's used, of the Lion of Judah. We sang about the roar this morning. He hears that, but what does he see? He sees a lamb that's been slaughtered. And we see this, these both are true. And some, sometimes there's, there's things that are seeming contradictions, but both are true. And that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is both the lion of Judah, but he's also the one who submitted and who was sacrificed for our sins and, and, and became the lamb, the sacrificial lamb. And so we see these both pictures. We, he hears the lion. He hears what's about to happen. But then he sees this picture of the lamb. And then these, it says the, each of the 24 elders had a harp and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. I love this. That in the throne room of God, there's this visual, John has this visual representation of all the prayers that we offer. How the things that we speak the prayers that we offer have an impact on the throne room of God. And the throne room of God has an impact on the world. How there's this, this interaction. How right now, heaven and earth have, have been separated in the sense that we don't, we don't see it as, as we were meant to see it. But heaven and earth are coming back together and our, our prayers are sweet smelling incense to our, to our God. And they sang a new song with these words, you are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked again and I heard the voice of a thousand, of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea they sang, Blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the, and the 24 elders fell down and worshipped the Lamb.
That's a lot going on there. <laughs> reading, reading the book of Revelation and seeing this, this, this picture that, that John is painting as, as he is caught up in this vision and he sees these things and trying, he's trying to pen. I'm, I'm sure he's struggling with words to, to write down what he's seeing. And the seven wings are all, all the wings. I forget how many wings they had. <laughs> Covered with eyes on, on either side. And there, there's so many things here. But we, we, what we see, the earth declaring who God is. That all of creation, all of humanity, that Jesus has done something that's going to impact. That even, it says, uh, Verse 10, and you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. This theme, and we pick this up a lot in the book of Genesis, and it carries through that we are supposed to be a kingdom of priests. All of us are supposed to represent God to our world. All of us have a part to play. All of us have a, have a job to do. Verse, uh, jump down to chapter 6. As I watched, the lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. We're about to, to walk through six of the seven seals. I'm going to leave the, the seventh one for, for Greg next week. And what we're going to, what we're going to see here is the, the ills, the basic afflictions of our world. Things that have happened when we look across time, when we look across uh, the world and all the things that have happened and all the things that are still happening and all the things that are continuing to happen that God is, is revealing the things that need to be broken, the things that need to be dealt with. You know, and we often say that the best way of overcoming the things that are holding us back is to shine a light on them. We need to call things out in our lives. We need to, we need to shine a light on every area to bring freedom and hope into our areas. It's when, it's when we keep things hidden and we, and we pretend that they don't exist and we we cover it up that it just stays and it remains. But it's when we reveal it for what it is and let it be broken that it can, it can be dealt with. And so we come and he says, and he lo I looked up chapter 6, verse 2. I looked up and I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on its head. He rode out to win many battles and gain victory. These are, these are often referred to as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. But the, the first one being, being um, the kingdoms of the earth and all, and all the things that happen. And then when the lamb, verse 3, when the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, come. And the, the, the other horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. We see throughout, throughout time and continuing to this day and continuing until Jesus comes again how attempts to make peace but aren't actually lasting peace. We, we attempt to make peace and there is war and there is slaughter but we see it's not the final answer. The lamb broke the third seal. I heard the third living being say, come. I looked up and I saw a black horse and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from the four living beings saying, a loaf of wheat, bread, for, or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay and don't waste the olive oil and wine. <laughs> Without going too deep into this, the in, in, inflation and the idea of the cost of things and how the, the, there's a, there's a in, our, in our world, we see so often, there's, there's those who have and then there's those who who struggle, and it's not supposed to be that way. Bread is not supposed to cost a day's wage. Gas is not supposed to cost $5 a gallon. <laughs> That's supposed to be funny. <laughs> uh, where was I? When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, come. I looked up and saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death, and his companion was the grave. These two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. These, 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 these four horsemen, these four ills of society, these four aspects of, of, of our world cause so much destruction and so much pain and so much death. 
Verse 9, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their servants of Jesus, who were to be martyred, had joined them. I, I love that even in this, in this revelation, there's the acknowledgement of what we all feel. How long do we have to wait? How long? I think even God feels that. But he's waiting. He's patient. God plays the long game. He's in it for the whole game. He's still in it. And I, I, I had a picture when I was reading this. I had a, a memory of playing. Where's my brother? Nope, he left stepped out. Hi, Lida. I remember playing Monopoly with my brother. I don't know if we ever finished a game of Monopoly, because probably it was me, but at some point I would just kick the board over and just be, <laughs> be like, how long is this game? How long do I have to wait? God doesn't do that. <laughs> he doesn't kick the board over and just scrap the whole thing. He's patient. He's playing the long game. But it, is, it does require patience. I watched as the lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth. The moon became as red as blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from the tree, shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll, and all the mountains and islands were moved from their places. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and, and free person all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains. And they cried to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide from us the face of the one who sits on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of the wrath has come, and who is able to survive. I'll let Greg pick it up from there. <laughs> There's a lot going on. You know, as we, as we look at our world, and there's just so much. You know, we have, we have tragedy in our own homes, but we also see the tragedy in countries and in war and in conflict. And we see tragedy in, in even our, our earth with tsunamis and, and famine and all, all the things that cause, that cause so much destruction, waiting for the return. <laughs> I almost said the return of the king. I've been watching a lot of Lord of the Rings lately. But it is the return of the king because we, found our, we find ourselves caught between the resurrection of Jesus, which defines who we are. You know, Paul says, if we didn't have the resurrection, we wouldn't have Christianity. We like to look at the cross because the cross is what gives us forgiveness. The cross is what reunites us with our God. The cross is what allows God to, 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 to put all the punishment away from us and to give us righteousness and all those things. But if Jesus didn't rise... Paul says we wouldn't have anything to celebrate because Jesus' resurrection tipped off the beginning of the restoration of all things. And that we are defined not just by the cross, but by resurrection. By God wanting to restore, God wanting to heal, God wanting to reconcile. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's got the slide for me, 1520. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. God is in the restoration business. 
And it is the mission of God's people to be restored and to bring restoration wherever we can. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone. The new life has begun. It's already begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. I invite the team to come back up. We're going to receive communion this morning. I have these, these passages, or I'm sorry, these, these questions on, on your handout. Do I? Yes. The, quest, the first question is fairly easy. Will we worship our creator? I think we answered that this morning. But will our life be a life of worship for our creator? And, and thinking about what I, what I pulled out from Revelations 4, what will we declare in our worship? Will, will we not just say, God, you're holy, and just declare truths that we were told? Or will we declare to God why he is holy, why he is good, recognizing what he has done in your life and in the lives of those around you and connecting the dots that he is good and this is how I know he is good and this is why I sing what I sing. And then thirdly, how will we participate in the restoration of all things? As we find ourselves caught between the resurrection and the return, we have a job to do. Jesus instructs us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're supposed to pray for heaven to be a, made a reality on earth. We're supposed to pray that earth is affected by heaven now. We're supposed to be a part of that, of being ambassadors of reconciliation, of being declarers of, of restoration, of being pleading for people to come back to God and to know the love of God. Not just the judgment of God, but the love of God. That's the part that we play. That's the part that we're building. We're going somewhere. We're going to a new heavens and a new earth, and we have a part to play in between. I invite you to stand with me. This morning, we, we try to do this once a month. Sometimes we think we should do it more. Sometimes we forget and do it less. But we remind ourselves of what Jesus did on the cross for our sins and what that means for us now. As we reflect on what he did, because what, what Paul says, and I'm gonna read it in a few moments, what Paul says is that we're supposed to do what he did that in, 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 in taking communion and receiving the juice and the cup and remembering the blood that was spilled and, and God's and Jesus' body that was broken, that we're supposed to do this. We're supposed to be this. As we remember what Christ did for us, we're supposed to do it likewise. To show love for the world. To allow our bodies to be broken for people. To pour out our blood, sweat, and tears to see people come to know love, hope, restoration for us to experience it in every area of our lives. I'm going to I'm going to pray they're going to they're going to sing and uh, have the couples that are going to the people that are going to help with the tables go ahead and get in place. And what we do if if you're if you're new here or haven't been here when, when we've done communion, we take a few moments to worship and to come and to grab a a piece of bread and, and juice and, and take it back to our seats and then I'll, I'll lead us through um, taking those together as we reflect on on our Savior. God, we thank you that we can 
be together this morning, that we can come together to support one another, to love one another, God, to worship you, to declare who you are. God, even as we come to the table this morning, God, reveal what you want to reveal in all of us. God, we have work to do, work to be better. God, help us to be better husbands and wives and, and children and, and parents and coworkers and business owners and all the roles that we play, teachers, all the things that we do. Help us, God, to better reflect you, to, to show your love to the world around us. As we come to the table this morning, God, highlight in us the part that you have for us to play, the things that you have to address in each of us, the things that you want to highlight, that you want to put your finger on this morning to bring, to bring healing to, to bring hope to, to bring change to. Speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Come up and grab the elements and we'll go through it together. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. 
Paul writes, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself, that on the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, and he gave thanks for it, gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus took the bread, and I know we know that the disciples, they didn't even understand what he was saying, and then much later they're like, oh, that's what he was saying. That Jesus' body would be broken for them and everybody that comes after. And Jesus said, do this, not just eat the bread once in a while, but do what I did. Jesus says, Greater love hath no man than this, than one that lays his life down for his friends, as an instruction that we're supposed to do that, like he did. God, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you that, God, you gave everything for us. God, that you showed us what love truly looks like. That you gave your entire body for all of us. God, we receive that this morning. We receive that as we take the bread. Go ahead and take the bread this morning. In the same way, he took the cup, the cup of wine after supper. We have juice, by the way. He took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Jesus said, with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time, Paul says, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. The expectation is he's coming back for the restoration of all things to renew all things. And he's in the process of restoring, he's in the process of reconciling, the process of making that a reality. And we get to be a part of that and bringing restoration everywhere we go. But we're waiting for a complete restoration when Jesus comes again. And so Jesus instructs us to take this cup, the cup that is a new covenant between God and his people in agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. As we take this cup, we, we realize that Jesus, his blood was poured out for the sins of the world. And we get to receive forgiveness, both at salvation and then in every day after. <laughs> we, get to, we get to apply that forgiveness to our lives and walk in that forgiveness and receive his righteousness. And as God looks and he sees you as righteous in his eyes, he's able to look past everything you've ever done and see you as he sees his son because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. Jesus, we receive that this morning and we take the cup. And so we have work to do because we want the North Country to know, we want the world to know this truth. God, we thank you that you sacrificed everything for us and that you invite us to be your hands and feet. You invite us to be your body in the world. As you are the head and we are the body, we go out from now to every corner of the North Country to show the world your goodness, to show the world love as you loved us. Be with all of us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.